Welcome back to Hints and Guesses. I have an awesome podcast, in my opinion, lined up for us today. It's called Are We Ready for Psychedelics? And this is a conversation that, well, in some ways, I've been having for a long time with my close friend, Ryan Meeks, who is, a, I don't know, a practitioner, a student, um, a user of uh, psychedelics. And so we've kind of had this uh, back and forth conversation going for some time. And I thought, oh, uh, yeah, this this is the kind of conversation I'd like to host on the podcast. And so that's um, what's coming. And this is going to be kind of a long introduction because you'll see um, you'll see why actually in a, in a few minutes. I want to talk about maybe in more detail why I'm doing this podcast in the first place before I just hit play and we listen to our, our kind of unscripted conversation about it. Um, first, a couple of intro things. Um, well, I have an Israel trip coming up at the end of February, beginning of March, and I'm really excited about that. A church, most, mostly a church out of Minneapolis. If you are like a last minute planner and want to book your own air, I can get you on this trip. There's still time. Um, but that would be, you know, kind of an unusual person who might spontaneously want to do something like that in a couple weeks and already has a passport. But I thought I'd, I'd throw it out there because it has happened um, in the past on one of my trips. So that's coming. Um, and I'm really excited that. Uh, to announce that I'll be doing something for the Dominican Center here in Grand Rapids on dreams. It's called Dreamwork and the Soul. It's a two-day workshop, a Friday night and a all-day Saturday thing. And I've done some online programs around dreams, uh, if you've been paying attention for a while, but I've never done anything quite like this, and, and this one will be in person. So if you live in the Grand Rapids area and are interested in dreams, Hey, sign up at the Dominican Center. It's, it's going to be really, expen- yeah, really expensive, quite the opposite, really inexpensive and, and affordable. So if you're interested in dreams and how to listen to dreams and, and, or maybe you're a spiritual director or a therapist um, or in the helping profession and you'd like to be a better listener and would like to incorporate uh, dreams into the, uh, the spiritual conversation, then this is a workshop for you. I'm, as you might know from my previous podcasts, I don't, you know, I've never done one specifically on dreams that I can remember, although maybe I ought to. I'm not uh, as interested in interpretation as much as the way in which the dream um, puts pressure on us, (laughs) Uh, reveals to us internal worlds that are often um, out of view. It's kind of the back door into the spiritual life. You can present a certain way and say, here are my issues and problems and questions. And then all we have to do is allow the dream to unfold, the landscape of the dream, the emotional landscape, the the images, uh, the, cert- the potency of the images, just to sink back into them does its own work. So that's really kind of the place I'm coming from. Most of that I learned through my guide training at Animus Valley Institute. So Okay, that, those are the only kind of ads I wanted to, to plop down, except for my uh, Patreon supporters. I have been so grateful over the last few years that I've had so many patrons sign on at all kinds of different levels, and I don't make any promises like, like this, you know, um, 
if you pay this amount, you get this. I've just said, if you want to support this podcast, here's an opportunity. So I'm really grateful. But I want to do something a little extra for my uh, Patreon supporters now. So once a month, I'm going to host a, um, a dialogue, a kind of an, an open-eyed uh, conversation. So this will be a chance for the Patreon supporters to ask questions and to tell me uh, what's going on for them especially as it relates to the sort of material that comes up in the podcasts. Um, I might share a little something where I'm at, some ideas, a poem perhaps, but it'll be a Zoom thing. So um, just dropping that um, seed now for my Patreon supporters. So look for an email with a Zoom link because uh, I'll, I'll do one already in February. So, okay. Now, why am I talking about psychedelics? Well, because... A lot of people are talking about psychedelics, and I don't know what your circles are like, but mine, at least, it's it's everywhere. I mean, I hardly know, um, well, I should maybe put it this way. I know many people who are wondering about psychedelics, who have used psychedelics, who ask for some help around um, integration of what comes up during these kinds of experiences, and... And of course, there is a, a gazillion podcasts about the efficacy from um, a scientific and medical model around the use of psychedelics with things like PTSD and uh, fear of death in cancer patients. And those kinds of studies are going on all, um, all over the world at this point. And so it's coming. It's coming down, down the uh, pike here and if it's if if it's not in your circles it will be so i think that's part of why i want to ask the question are we ready for for psychedelics and and i want to say two caveats here one i try to make a commitment not to mock or deride things that help even though i have questions about the use of psychedelics i don't want to put down um what might help someone and cuz people need a lot of help but we also want to ask, well, how does it help and what does it help with and um, what are the shadow sides? I mean, everything has a shadow side, as you well know. And um, I got this line from Robert Moore. He, he calls the, the shadow side of, of an archetype is he calls it the bipolar shadow complex. So <laughs> what is the bipolar shadow complex of of um, of these kinds of medicines? It's something I think worth asking, and um, yeah, and maybe I don't need to say say much more than that. And but now I want to share kind of some of my reservations because here's how I thought the conversation was going to go: that we would have a back and forth, and I'd say, "Yeah, well, what about this?" And he might say, "Yeah, well, here here's how I would respond to that question." And but really, what happened is just it kind of naturally came up, and and a lot of my questions I never even asked because they were reservations that Ryan also has um, as, a, as a kind of advocate. <laughs> I don't know if he would say that exactly, but um, certainly saying this has helped me and, and it does help some people. So I want to just kind of clear up at the beginning, well, what are some of my questions? And, and then I'll let the podcast kind of do its own thing. So number one would be something, go something like this. I'm a little leery of any kind of magic pill and that's the way it's sometimes uh marketed now i'm I, i'm using air quotes now because almost all this stuff is illegal um 
what's it what's it called um uh schedule one drug something like that and uh that means no medicinal purposes which is part of the core of the the argument right now um do they actually help uh, scientifically medically things like this so schedule one is how they're um typically categorized not all of them but um but anyway i'm a little leery of, of the magic pill and but it's not just because that's what sometimes promised it's because we live in a pill popping culture we want a pill for everything and a lot of at least what i consider the very slow um, often slow and challenging work of just growing up psychologically and spiritually i'm a little leery of uh, in a pill popping culture that wants to peddle the next thing so that's a question i have i guess then another question i have is um what happens when we take at least some of these, like ayahuasca and um, psychedelic mushrooms and a few other compounds, out of the indigenous wisdom cultures in which they arose? What happens when we take, take them out of those contexts and then colonize them for our own spiritual journeys? That's a major question for me. The same people who often say, oh, who, who criticize like the colonizing Western, mostly Christian, but the Westernized mind just devouring up cultures as being evil, we should definitely not be doing that, turn around and have no problem with this kind of colonization of ancient wisdom without the elders, without the context, without the sacred uh, culture behind it. Which is kind of leads me to another question, which is context matters, like sacred context or medical context. What are we talking about here? And it's much, much safer to stay in the medical realm. Look, we know the science. We know the data. That's the kind of culture we live in. We worship at that altar. But I think these um, technologies, if that's the right word for it, have a sacred context. And what happens when we rip it out of the sacred context? What's lost, what's gained, that sort of thing. Notice I don't have a lot of, I'm not trying to answer these. I'm just saying these are my personal questions. And, and, and maybe related to that is what happens when a mostly immature culture, what Bill Plotkin would call a pathologically adolescent culture, fixated in one particular stage of human development, the adolescent phase, early adolescent phase, um, what happens when... Th- when these people are the major consumers of, of any kind of drug at all, what's going to happen, you know? And of course, that comes up out of just wondering about the 1960s when all this was part of the, the social, political, and spiritual revolution of the 1960s. You could say, well, what happened? You know, what, and Jesus has that line, by, by your fruits, you will recognize them, something like that. So, um, what are the fruits of this kind of mass, mass, um, uh, I don't know what you call it, um, mass movement, because it will be soon if it's not already. Um, okay. Uh, here's a couple more questions. I'm done. And this is totally personal on my part. I have, I know this about myself after analysis and, um, you know, therapy and some pretty profound work at Animus Valley Institute in in these kinds of um, spiritual and psychological intensives that I have a major escapist complex or subpersonality. I like to hit the escape button. 
if um, if everybody's gathering somewhere, I want to know where the door is. And if the emotional and psychological pressure goes up, I want to find the release valve. So drugs, for me, I have a drug past, have always been a form of escape. And and now escape has its own merits. You know, sometimes life is hard and we need some coping strategies. So, okay, fair enough. But I now recognize the compulsive ways that this keeps me from experiencing what's real and from experiencing, you know, a kind of suffering, the, the right kind of suffering. Um, so, all right. How much of this is just wanting to hit the escape button and how much of is it, is it wanting to go more deeply into my own life? That's a very personal question, but I think it has some kind of like transpersonal implications. You might have to ask the same thing. Okay. And finally, this is my final point. I see, particularly in the Christian contemplative tradition, but I see examples in other uh, faiths or spiritual traditions of what's called the cataphatic and the apophatic way, the cataphatic and the apophatic. So cataphatic means with images and sensations. I'm going to add with images and sensations, concrete. Um, this is, uh, you, you could even put words and doctrines and statements, and this is part of the spiritual life, a cataphatic, concrete, experiential um, spiritual life. The apophatic is the absence of images and the absence of sensations, the absence of knowledge. This is the more usually thought of as the more mystical side. This is, uh, although both of them, I, I actually don't buy that, both have mystical dimensions, the cataphatic and the apophatic images and the lack of images. So the dark night of the soul, for example, which I did a podcast on a, a, you know, a few, like a month or so ago, is really about the absence and the weaning off of images and experiences, especially um, highly um, uh, ecstatic experiences of sensation. And that's one of the things that happens with drug use or psychedelics or plant medicine, whatever you want to call it, is a flooding, a flooding of the ego, an overwhelm of the ego, which has its own merits, um, but usually often with sensations and experiences and images, if they're certain kinds of psychedelics. So I'm just saying, okay, if that's one half of the spiritual life, what about the apophatic? And it seems like most of us are afraid of the absence, afraid of being weaned. And especially if you have the escapist button, it's like, okay, as, as I'm being taken off my addiction to images and sensations and experiences, what happens to me? Who am I now? And I just want to say the spiritual tra tradition presents a kind of caution around this stuff. It's like, okay, this is only one half of a life well lived. So, okay, that's as much as I want to say, that is a very long introduction, which I'm not going to apologize for. Now the conversation is even longer. So I hope you'll um, listen all the way through. I think we talk about really interesting things. And I hope you'll form your own ideas and thoughts and questions and opinions. I hope you'll hear a few hints and guesses from me and from Ryan about the kind of terrain. We're, we're both interested in the same kinds of things. Um, you know, I take people out and, you know, into the woods. And that is an altered state of consciousness. Fasting for four days is an altered state of consciousness. It's not the same kind of um, 
it doesn't have the same effect and or the same aim as certain medicines or drugs or things like that. But that's not to say we stand on polar opposite ends of altered states of consciousness. No, we think they have a place in the spiritual life and, and the ego does need to be challenged. So anyway, I hope you'll hear a hint, a guess, a clue as you um, wander further in your own wild and precious life. Thanks for tuning in. That's more fun. Um, yeah, so I guess I, I can imagine, here's what I imagine. Um, okay. the, it seems like we can go two directions and maybe it's like uh, the same direction, kind of like on parallel tracks. I, mm -hmm. I do want to ask you about like, huh, what's going on with Ryan Meeks? Like, I want to get into you just a bit of your story and your own unfolding. And okay. I don't know if you're, if you ever talk about that or if you're tired of talking about that or neither. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, I sometimes do. I don't spend a mm, ton of time talking about it, but I'm yeah. also not like allergic to it. Yeah. Okay. It's like I'm past that point of the experience, you know, where I'm like, yeah. oh, I'm so tired of, it's like, yeah, it's part of my life and shapes yeah. who I am. So that's good. Okay. And I think the other aim direction is around psychedelics and plant medicine. That's okay. what I want to yeah. want to talk about. And, and there are a billion podcasts, as you know, about psychedelics right now. Yeah, totally. Like, I mean, yeah. it's like, ah, and yeah. research and yeah. that's not, that's not the conversation I want to have. About, yeah, yeah. You wouldn't be talking to me, <laughs> <laughs> but I also want to, I, I want it. I want this to be an opportunity to, um, I don't know, express my own questions yeah, and, and reservations and, fun. and interest and curiosity. Um, yeah. So that's, that's kind of, that's kind of what I imagine we'll talk about and then we'll see what, un what unfolds. Um, yeah, I guess, I, I guess, yeah, I guess for me, what, where, okay. First, maybe I want to say, here's how I think about you as a person. <laughs> <laughs> dun, dun, dun. yeah yeah this exactly the end of our friendship exactly yeah. <laughs> this is a... I, I wanted to confront you but it seems yeah. like you say yes to a podcast so uh, <laughs> i do all my confrontations uh, on air now yeah. <laughs> okay, i'm just I'm going like... around ending relationships left yeah. and right <laughs> okay hit me howard stern let's do this yeah no i was thinking about your your astronaut tattoo if that's if that's what you call oh, it's yeah. what i call it and sure. and i've actually always seen you before you had that t tattoo as that kind of person, like a person that's um, moving out hmm. into the world and, and into the world behind the worlds hmm. and, uh, and was an explorer from, I mean, from the very first time I met you and yeah. And so like, even it, I don't mean this in too fancy of a way, but sort of like an explorer of consciousness and, what's possible and not just um, uh, like just for the hell of it, but also in a, at least the way I, what I've seen also in um, it, what's the right way of saying it as a student, you know, as a, as a reader and um, not just sort of like randomly trying things, but going as far as you can, like putting on your little astronaut 
hood hat helmet thing and (laughs) and moving out so i don't know if you if you think that's true about yourself um yeah yeah, i mean what would you what would you say yeah i think that's definitely true i mean i uh, i think one of the first uh memories i have in my life of like sort of reveling in self-reflexive awareness was uh, like seventh grade. I was just, it's not even that interesting of a moment, but I remember in seventh grade being in the backyard of my uncle's house in Oregon. And I was just sort of looping like, oh my God, I'm a sentient being that can reflect on its sentience and no one else is participating in this movement of mm. my consciousness, but myself. Mm. And, and the, but to be able to recognize that without an other, I can still have an othering experience because I can reflect on it. Mm. And I was in seventh grade. And uh, I feel like I've just kind of always been asking like, what's going on, even though like you, I grew up in a religious house and my dad was a pastor. I wanted to, fit into the system of, you know, I guess the metaphysic or whatever, the, the, the theology, the structure there. But I had so many stinking questions that at first it sort of uh, made me feel like a junior varsity version. Like here mm-hmm. I am the pastor's kid and none of the special mystical things are happening to me, but I wanted them. I sincerely mm-hmm. wanted them. And so, yeah, I've always been that kind of like an explorer. I'm willing to try stuff. Um, And at first, you know, I did that where I could, and I used the technologies that were afforded to me and sort of, uh, (laughs) it's a a thin band, as you know, in church growth, evangelical Christianity, (laughs) mystical transcendence technologies, but um, I for sure was always, you know, interested in maximizing those. And, you know, I still regularly have dreams that are essentially me asking why. Mm. Like, why this? Why me? What's happening? What is the world and who am I? So, yeah, I think that's pretty accurate. Can you give me a dream image? Not that way. Now I'm now I'm interested in dreams all of a sudden. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that dream was Hmm. in particular, uh, there were two movements. One was me asking a presence that I was aware of, but that had no shape or form. Hmm. Um, But I knew it was listening or present to me. And, and that's just came out of this, like, sort of what space I would, I guess, call soul, you know, why, why this, why is this sort of this participation in reality necessary? And to what end are we doing this together, you and I? Mm. Um, And then, and then it uh, actually pretty hard right turn into an experience that I had with an energy intuitive, which who I met when I had cancer, which I, this is the first time I'd ever even given that one thought. And she came into the dream and was like, Ryan, look how far you've come. You know, you used to just be strive, strive, strive. And now, you know, you can just turn to what's nourishing. And as as soon as she said the word nourishing in the dream, I felt this energy rise up inside my body and blast through my forehead Mm -hmm. and I I was having this like euphoric panicky response Mm -hmm. to it like oh my god this is it this is it and then I woke up Mm -hmm. that was a pretty powerful dream (laughs) yeah amazing um 
it's hard for me not to to bite on that you know i as, know I was a, like oh you're gonna go dreams now we'll be here forever yeah. <laughs> but yeah maybe maybe it's worth saying at this point um something about dreams like well, first of all, dreams have been an important part of every spiritual and religious tradition and culture that we know of on the planet until like five minutes ago. Yep. And, uh, and it's comes free of charge every night. This it's, it's a, a shifted state of consciousness. It's a different state of consciousness or, or it reveals, um, uh, the, the available planes of, of the self or yeah. of the others, maybe internal and external, but for sure internal. Yeah. Dreams have been largely my uh, way in mm -hmm. to underworld or other worlds and <laughs> the biggest surprise of my life, you know? Um, <laughs> right. And, they, and, it, and, they're, and they're hard to talk about, you know? Uh, like, it, you know, 10 years ago, if someone, someone were to say, yeah, I, ba I, I basically base my life on dreams, I'd be like, ah, okay, well... <laughs> <laughs> yeah let's not talk again <laughs> yeah um okay so all right let's i want to ask you about a certain time in your life mm -hmm. like when you when you first encountered psychedelics or plant medicine and i want to know what led up to that like what was happening and why that door and um and what was it like walking through walking through that door, something like that. Yeah. So I would start probably by speeding through high school and the use of drugs in a sort of an infantile, you know, or at least adolescent way. Mm -hmm. Cause I, it wasn't, I just don't think that it was the same thing as what we're kind of the conversation we're trying to have. Um, so I had done, you know, obviously it was drinking and, and smoking pot and, um, I did mushrooms a couple times in high school, but, but once I was, you know, an adult and I was sort of through the part of my story, that's, you know, really shaped around the mega church and, and my, what I thought was the sort of the loss of my faith, my faith, um, you know, drugs came back into my life when, um, they became, it became legal again to, uh, uh, to procure, procure cannabis in Washington <laughs> state and our staff who many of them are friends of yours now, mm. um, you know, they were immediately like, so we can smoke weed now. Right. <laughs> cause it's legal. <laughs> and, uh, we had, I remember had a, had a couple of meetings like, you know, cause we had, this was a big question. And, um, so, you know, eventually we're just like, yeah, you know, just like all the rest of our rules on staff, don't be an idiot. You know, we, you could drink alcohol and, and we're just asking you not to be a fool and hurt yourself or others. So that sort of opened the door for me. And that was the first time I was utilizing any drug for like some inner purposes rather than just let's use this to escape. Mm. And then after I had cancer in 2017, or rather beforehand, it was my mentor, Bruce Sanguin, who said, I think you're ready for ayahuasca. And I'd never even heard of ayahuasca, um, but I was in a sort of a, a very much a death season of my life as a pastor and, and where I was out of my faith journey that I was like, okay, I need to do this. And then actually you were in town a couple of weeks later and mm -hmm. I had like mm -hmm. that cold that wouldn't go away. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, ended up getting, long story short, getting diagnosed with, with um, Hodgkin's lymphoma. So the trip down to, um, it was going to be in Mexico to do ayahuasca had to be postponed because they won't let you do it when you're on chemotherapy. So I had to wait a year. And then finally, when I was cleared, I immediately scheduled a high dose um, psilocybin journey with my therapist and mentor, Bruce Sanguin up in Canada. And so I would say that's the beginning of my real thoughtful, um, more sacred approach to uh, psychedelics. It started with a high dose uh, psilocybin journey uh, off of Vancouver Island in mm. Um, this little island called Denman Island. And it just absolutely blew my mind. What was interesting is that on the way out there, I was feeling like I was already experiencing an altered state of consciousness. It was almost like, like uh, listening to a record backwards. You know, when you hear a cymbal crash, it's like, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. <laughs> driving to this experience, I, I could feel this altered state of perception, altered state of awareness. And I, I don't have any explanation of how that functions, but um, by the time I had taken, I think that time was three and a half or four grams of what's called golden teachers mushrooms. And it just completely reoriented consciousness for me. I mean, to it's, it's always funny trying to hear people describe um, what these altered states feel like, but for me, I remember spending much of the time thinking this has been available all this time and I haven't taken advantage of it. You know, it was so much of what Christianity had promised to me, this ability to commune with what felt like ultimate love a perfect um, communion with uh, ultimacy and the fact that I could schedule it for a particular day. <laughs> like I'm going to do that at three o'clock on Friday, you know, it just, like I was reeling for weeks and weeks afterward. And, and really in that experience, I made the decision right then and there, I have to know how far this goes. Hmm. Like how far can you push this? What if I took seven grams, you know, yeah, like big other surprise, drugs. big surprise yeah. that that was your conclusion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, all the Enneagram people are like, he's an eight, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's the beginning. I mean, do I can stop there and just say that, that, that I knew then and there that, that this was for me and that mm. this would be a part of my practice um, and further exploration of consciousness. And, you know, before, before all that, it was like Lectio Divina and, mm -hmm. and centering prayer. And I was using whatever technologies I could get my hands on. And of course, meditation for a long time as well. Um, but this was like, Oh, here we go. Like this is the super highway lane for this stuff. And I'm definitely going to push it hard. And I did. And I spent really the next 12 months doing as many drugs as I could. Mm. Yeah. And what was that like? <laughs> what was it, what was happening to you? And, um, yeah, I yeah. mean, all these, I, I can't re remember the way Terrence McKenna words it, but it, uh, socially laid down tracks of thinking like constructs and structures of thought would just melt away and no longer make immediate sense. You know, it, I, I would find that most of the ways that I had agreed to think and be and organize myself and my relationships um, were just agreements, you know, that I could either continue or not. And um, mo mo many of the things that we sort of take for granted just started to seem like arbitrary. 
and the ability to feel things that I had only intellectualized was, I mean, euphoric mm. to, to actually love myself instead of know that I should love myself mm. <laughs> or that that would be a really great way to be a better, you know, husband and father and friend, but to experience the feeling of my belovedness. Um, and I don't know where to locate that. Like, I, mean, I suppose a lot of times people say God, like I could feel that God loves me, but I'm sort of agnostic on drawing those really clean conclusions. Um, but it was profound and um, it helped me see things I couldn't see. Like uh, LSD specifically sort of breaks through uh, layers of denial. Mm. And so you got to be careful like what you're doing and who you're around. Like if you're on a high dose of LSD and you're around someone who you haven't had the courage to tell yourself you're done with that relationship, <laughs> you might notice really powerfully, like, get me the fuck away from this person. Like I cannot stand the energy of this exchange. Um, so, you know, just a lot of like Eureka sort of like, aha, I get it type, um, I don't know, revelations that would come mm -hmm. through for yeah. sure. And it changed the way I interacted with my kids. I mean, especially my experiences with ayahuasca and identifying, I guess in some way, you kind of got to go with me. I'm going to stretch language a little bit, but identifying as my children and looking back on myself, hmm. again, not, not as an intellectual ex exercise, but as a felt experience of uh, inhabiting their heart space and looking back at myself. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would come back from those experiences, like looking into their eyes in a completely different way. And mm -hmm. so having those things, you know, over a year, whether it's an MDMA or it's ayahuasca or it's um, LSD or ketamine or whatever, you know, I wasn't just doing this to, oh, I'm going to take this and see what it does, even though that was part of it. Mm -hmm. My motivation here was to see how far out side of self I could go and how much into what you might call ultimate reality or God I could get, you know, and then how much of I, I could bring back. Cause to me, I, I want to do drugs as a way of inhabiting my life more deeply and you can do drugs as a way to escape your life for sure. Um, mm -hmm. but that wasn't my, um, that's not what I was after. Did it work? I mean, did it work in that sense? I mean, you're saying like the story with your kids is a good example of your intention lining up here. You want to inhabit your life yeah. as more fully as a father and you can. Yeah. I mean, would you say yeah, that that's around? Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Like I've even had the opportunity, my oldest kids are 23 and 20 and I've had the opportunity to share some beautiful space with them because of these, um, because of these compounds where we can, in a space of total open-heartedness, we can communicate things that, you know, you could say um, sober, mm -hmm. but when your heart is open under some of these compounds, you, you receive it. It actually goes in. It, it skips the defense mechanisms of disbelief, you know, that mm -hmm. I could be loved or that this is real. And the conversations we've been able to have together. I mean, especially with my oldest daughter, cause there's something very, you know, unique about being an oldest. I'm an oldest. I know, mm. <laughs> you know parents are cutting their teeth on the learning experience of raising a child. And, you know, my daughter and I got to talk through 
like real stuff, like mm -hmm. about things that hurt her and, um, you know, what her experience was like when I had cancer and to have mm -hmm. those kind of heart to heart conversations where there was nothing in the way. It was just truth and acceptance and love and compassion. Um, those are invaluable to me. Mm -hmm. And yeah. um, so I'm deeply grateful for what these drugs have offered. Yeah. I want to go back to cancer for just a second. Yeah. Um, were you afraid to die when you got diagnosed? Yep, definitely. Yeah. I always love when people say they're not afraid to die. <laughs> <laughs> I say that sometimes. <laughs> sure. Sure. You're, sure. You're not here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm going to give you some five MEO DMT and we'll find out if yeah. you're afraid to die or not. Because, so you don't because, know. Yeah. 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 So I was afraid to die for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, one, I, I mean, I was, I, I don't know, I think 38. Mm -hmm. So it was just like this, almost like this betrayal of my own body. Like what? Mm -hmm. Like, how could you do this to me? Like I'm 38. I have four kids. Um, yeah, this was in 2017. So they're much younger. And so there was like the fear of like, Oh, I didn't get to do, you know, what I wish I could have done. I thought I had more time. And mm -hmm. so there were the, one of the, gifts you know we talk about it a lot michelle and i uh was the urgency that mm. comes online it's like fucking live dude like yeah. there is and everything that isn't of absolute importance just burns up like straw mm. i don't care like bitterness or mm. being at grudges it's just like i don't have i don't have time <laughs> i forgive you all not because i'm like a spiritual giant but because it just i'm not gonna waste Mm -hmm. my time trying to get what I think this person owes me. Like, it's okay. They're what I don't have time, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that was mm -hmm. a beautiful, beautiful gift. But for sure. I remember crying, holding my wife and I just holding each other on the bed, just being like, okay, we can't future trip on the worst case scenario because mm -hmm. right now we're together mm -hmm. and I can feel you and I can kiss your lips. And if we live in that fear, we won't, we won't be here. And this is real right now. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, I guess that was a long answer to Yeah. I was afraid to die. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I'm not even sure why I asked that only maybe just because of the relationship between plant medicines and fear of death. Yeah. Um, but it, you know, I was, a, I was in and out of your life during this whole time period. Oh yeah, and for sure. It was, it was amazing really to be around you. And there was a sense of urgency and, and, and a shedding, like just dropping things left and right. Yeah. That was yeah. inspiring and also slightly, you know, frightening. I was doing my own dropping of various things as well. <laughs> <I know>. so, <laughs> yeah. Good companions for sure. Yeah. 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 I think uh, you were even, I think you came into town and you were with me right after Michelle and I got back from an ayahuasca ceremony. Oh yeah. Is that right? I mean, like okay. within hours, within yeah, hours. Okay, I, thought like so. I saw you in the kitchen and I'm like, Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Something happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. And then we went and led a retreat together and it's like, whatever happened in that ayahuasca journey was, was a, was a field that you continued to inhabit during those, you know, two or three days together. Yeah. Not, not sure. that you were even choosing it. You were just inhabiting sort of this mm -hmm. yeah. field of awareness. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, what do I want to ask you? Like, okay. 
Well, I'll, 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 I'll maybe say something personal when you were putting the pedal all the way down from yeah. like LSD and mm-hmm. MDMA and on and on and on and on, I was yeah. getting worried. I was like, okay, where's this go? <laughs> you know, yeah, where's this right. go? You were not alone. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> I may have been worried for different reasons and maybe yeah. we could talk about that. Yeah, sure. Um, I have a lot of concerns about drug use and of course the psychedelic landscape as it is even yeah let's talk about it that's i want to get into a bit of that but first personally i mean um what were the dangers and and dead ends during that initial opening um well there's a couple ways to answer that like um was i aware of them is that what you're saying or do you mean in retrospect looking back I guess I'm kind of saying in retrospect, because at the time yeah. it just sort of felt like I'm going to see how far this goes. And, yeah. Yeah. And I might die anyway. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. And even yeah. when I got cleared from cancer, it's like, you're not cleared. Like they were yeah. like, okay, we can stop chemo and you're going to mm-hmm. get blood work every three months. And I've, I mean, you and I, we've been past, I was pastoring for 20 years. I mm. see, I saw a lot of people go into remission and then die two months later. So yep. Yeah. Even, even in, you know, 2018, when I was like, definitely not, um, not in any treatment at all and had had my port removed and stuff like that lives in you, right? Mm -hmm. It has, you know, what did they say? Rent free, that sucker's there, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's, it's, it's not going away. And still, even today, you know, it's there at, at a certain level. So, but I think I had less, um, then maybe another person, even someone as, you know, perhaps as iconoclastic as me personally, as a personality, because of the cancer, I was like a little more cavalier than maybe the average yokel. So, um, but looking back, like, you know, like you said, I love to read. I mean, I think probably 90% of those books are psychedelic books that Mm -hmm. I've read in the last you know, few years, because I just had to not just do the drugs and see how far I could go, but read everything I could get my hands on. Um, and, you know, there, there's a lot of ways to get off the rails, in, in my opinion, on this. Um, and one would have been if I had had a, uh, myself or a family member had a history of schizophrenia, or, you know, some sort of psychotic breaks, or, um, Suicidal ideation. Yeah. Yeah. And then, but even that I'd be based on the literature. Mm-hmm. Um, there are categories of people that they say shouldn't do it. And, mm-hmm. but there isn't any data that is really supportive of that. It's just that when they run like the clinical trials, they don't allow those people even into the trials. <laughs> yeah. These people shouldn't so, do it. And we don't want to find out. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. So it's not really fair to say that yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> the, the research is a little loosey goosey there, mm. but it, and it, there is enough to say that like, especially in the work that Roland Griffiths has done, God bless that guy. He actually just is, is dealing with the terminal cancer diagnosis. Um, so there's definitely reason to, you know, be cautious because you are messing with your consciousness. And, but, but that said, like, there's no lethal dose of LSD. Like Mm. you could do a sheet of acid and have like the hardest fucking 24 hours of your life, but you'll, you can go to work, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like you drink a half rack of whiskey, you know, you can kill yourself. Um, Mm -hmm. and of course coming off of alcohol, you have like massive withdrawals and that's not true with LSD. So uh, there's a lot of stuff that, 
the, you know, the D.A.R.E. program that I grew up in and the war on drugs has sort of, there's a lot of mythology that's misplaced. And yet, in the midst of that, there are some concerns about um, how far and how fast you push so that you can hang on to, um, I'll just say the ego, because the ego is a good thing. I think you and I share that perspective. Yeah. Ego is a friend mm -hmm. ego. <laughs> you don't want to be just like sitting cross-legged at the street corner for the rest of your life, you know? Mm -hmm. You gotta pay the bills and you know, perhaps raise a family and such and so forth. Um, and then early on, I wasn't really aware of ways to test my drugs. And that's an easy thing to do. I mean, there's a million ways to do that. You can buy test kits on Amazon. There are places you can send samples to at festivals now. Um, there are oftentimes places where you can test, have your drugs tested. So, but back in the day, I didn't, I was just kind of pretty trusting and I was very careful with where I procured, procured them, but that's another thing, you know? Um, mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of the, there's a lot of like sort of a media frenzy right now around fentanyl. Um, a lot of that is misplaced because of the ways that, you know, coroners are either trained or not trained in specific places. So when they say they died because they had fentanyl in their system, that's not actually true. A lot of times people have a ton of drugs in their system. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, there's, there's a lot to say on that, but there are, there are obviously physical concerns, you know, um, neurological concerns, um, purity concerns, and then I guess psychological, mental health history, familial history concerns. Mm. And then um, one of my sort of rising uh, discomforts with the psychedelic world these days and all that I've seen over the past few years, again, I'm not a, <laughs> I'm not a researcher or a therapist, you know, I'm a, uh, an ex megachurch pastor who's just mm -hmm. been pretty public about his drug use. So, <laughs> so take this with that, that large grain of salt, but, um, I see that there are people who just so desperately need to believe in something hmm. that the absolute mind fuck of a transcendent vision that's real. I mean, these are real transcendent visions of, of whatever, of unity. They're subjectively reality. real. Yeah. yeah, yeah, there we go. Yeah. Um, that people can get like seeded with ideas about a metaphysic. I see like a lot of like psycho, um, psychedelic dogma rising mm -hmm. up in the mm -hmm. weird spiritual communities. It sort of dovetails with a lot of this conspiracy theory, mm -hmm. sort of prototypical person who um, everything's a conspiracy and everything's an unsolvable problem because of Satan pulling the strings or whatever. So because you go into this space of like, let's even call it archetypes or causal layers of reality in the psyche. Um, people can kind of sort of sell their mind down the river and get mm -hmm. a little untethered. Um, and thankfully that didn't happen to me. I mean, I think there's certainly part of my personality is skepticism. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's what eventually led me out of Christianity, but, um, that's a big one. I see yeah. that a lot. And there's a lot of like really weird, uh, unhealthy group think really culty group think <laughs> that happens in some of these, especially 
the group circles where people like do um, some kind of psychedelic and then they all talk about what happened there. Mm -hmm. We already know psychologically that is a ton of pressure to fit and conform. And then there's a lot of like, um, you know, sort of dogmatic structure about, I even hate the word plant medicine. I just drugs, it's drugs. And I'm thankful to Dr. Carl Hart, who teaches at Columbia, who wrote a great book called Drug Use for Grownups. Um, and this is a little side that the psychedelic exceptionalism, like psychedelics are plant medicines, they're not drugs, mm. is really unhelpful language because it's just drugs. They're all drugs. Mm. And <laughs> this is a relief way, to hear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's another way to, um, you know, basically say white people drugs are good, you know? Yeah penalizing what other i'm not saying that only white people do psychedelics but you might notice in the psychedelic world you're going to see a lot of whiteies okay mm-hmm. it's a cracker barrel of people in the psychedelic <laughs> and yeah. uh so yeah that's a little bit of an aside but i think it's important that they're all drugs and we're taking them to augment our experience of our life mm-hmm. and to transcend just like someone would want to transcend with a joint you know, mm. transcend the day, transcend the stress, get into their body or, you know, um, whatever it is, cocaine or, or mm-hmm. even heroin, you know, 80% of heroin users are not addicted. Mm. There's a lot of bad information out there that has led people for good reasons, I think, to make see psychedelics are special. Mm. And so let's be okay with this. And all that does is further stigmatize other drugs um, and the people who use them as those are the bad druggies. And, you know, whereas 20, 30 years ago, you know, you do psychedelics in your persona non grata at Thanksgiving, but now you're caring about your mental health. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, you opened up a, a lot of little windows there. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. What do I want to ask you at this point? Um, I well, I kind of want to just imagine a little bit of, into the archetypal field, because mm. this is more my area of, of interest, both yeah. with, you know, fasting and um, dream work and wilderness experiences and, mm-hmm. um, and many of the sort of the dangers that you were describing about groupthink and dogmatic language and attachment, oh man, an attachment to, you know, new a kind of like metaphysical maps that explain yeah. everything. Oh yeah. It's yeah. all there. It's all there. Yep. Yep. Um, and, and here's a di- uh, an additional danger that I, that I see in this realm in general. And you tell me if you agree. And, th- and that is yeah. one of the things that I- I'll use simple language. Maybe if, if it needs clarification, let me know, but let's mm-hmm. say something of the ego is uh, cracked or yep. dismantled or yep. dislodged or whatever. And um, into the into the into the deeper realms we go into the unconscious and um, and what we meet there though is not personal. It's personal and not personal. Maybe it's both. You meet you meet the you know the personal unconscious, and you meet the transpersonal unconscious. You meet the very energies. You know the very things that people describe when they talk about mushrooms and um, the interconnected web and feeling a part of that. And it's true. It's true whether you're conscious of it or not. And but it's also true that those energies are um, wildly other as much as they are connected and they have a a kind of life force of their own. I mean, this is what, this is 
the birth of the gods and goddesses in a way and they're and they're powerful powerful beings and that's that's a lot that's that's one of the question marks one of the dangers at least in my mind because probably the worst thing that could happen is a kind of um from an archetypal point of view is a dismantling of an ego and a, and and a kind of attachment identity attachment to a to an archetypal power as if it's mine or as if yeah. I'm here to channel this and oh these kinds God. of things. Yes. Yeah. I see so all the time. Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. People. And, and that's the thing about ego is like, whatever you want to give it, the ego is so smart. It will mm. be like, Oh, cool. You want to do psychedelics? Uh, we're going to, we're going to crush psychedelics. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to do it right. Ride yeah. that all the way up to the top. Like, Oh, mm. I'm going to be, Oh, it's humility. I'm going to be so humble. And, so mm -hmm. I think a, a, yeah, maybe just like an awareness of the, of the traps of spirituality is an important sort of hip pocket book you need to grab on your way into any of these, any technologies of altered states of consciousness. Mm -hmm. um, you're playing with power that is can get out of control. You might not be able to wield it in a way that you can't wield it. You can't, yeah. maybe you can be in relationship to it. Those are the mystics there. Right. You know, they're... well, and even just like the idea that like, I, just because you've been to Rome, you're not Italian. And so people yeah. go into these spaces, they do like some <laughs> wicked dose of LSD and they have, they have decided that the state of consciousness that they visited for even, let's say an hour of their experience, now belongs to them as a trait. Yeah, exactly. This yeah. is the states and stage confusion. Yeah. yeah let's exactly. actually let's let's talk about that. I mean, okay. I, I'm I'm just pulling from Ken Wilber's states and stages. Yeah. So, uh, a state of consciousness is just that. It's some state mm -hmm. that one is in. And a stage. First of all, do you agree with a, a kind of stage model? Are there stages of consciousness, whether it's spiral dynamics or some other map or yeah. model? Do you? What do you think? And what's yeah, the relationship between psychedelics, states of consciousness, but how does it relate to stages? That's kind of one of the questions I'm holding. Yeah. Well, I think at the real basic level, you can kind of get everybody on board when it comes to like child development. Mm. Yeah. Like we, we believe in stages of development. That's of course. Of yeah. And then just evolution. That's how evolution works. Right. So mm. um, there are stages of the evolving process that again, to use Ken Wilber transcend and include. So it's not by getting rid of the prior form. It's by it's development by envelopment. So mm. the prior stage is in it. So it's almost like a nested hierarchy of, you know, whatever you want to call it, mutations or mm. evolving forms. So for sure, I think there are stages in all things um, mm. biologically. And then why not uh, psychologically that there mm. might be a, uh, levels of awareness. I, what I might reject, uh, is, the, is it being like really tightly linear, you know, mm. like these mm. are the people at the top or whatever. Like I think about my uncle who lived on the street for 20 years by choice. Um, and even uh, asterisk there, you know, he did, he was in Vietnam. So, um, maybe not exactly fair to say, but but he preferred that. Like it, sometimes he'd come off the street for a little while, get a job for two months, and then we wouldn't see him for years. Hmm. Now he has an archaic, to use spiral dynamic language, he has an archaic intelligence that will come real in real handy mm -hmm. uh, when this country goes into like a hardcore civil war, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
and an intelligence that I can't even imagine. Like you put me on the street for 20 years. I mean, I mean, I'm not going to make it first of all. <laughs> I was going to say for 20 days. Yeah, exactly. 20 hours, bro. I get cold easy. <laughs> I'm wearing a puffer right now in my house. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so I, I don't see them as, to me, it's like almost like this developing toolkit, mm. you know? So in that sense, I suppose it's, it, uh, there's a progression but not in the sense of like, this is the best, uh, but the toolkit expands of what you can hit. So anyway, who, who the, what the fuck do I know? But that's, that's my take on it that, yeah, we see uh, development taking place. It does make sense. I mean, it's a foundational part of my psychedelic paradigm that, you know, um, the same healing intelligence that's in the body is in the psyche. That's a really important part of like how I work with psychedelics so that we trust, we let the unconscious lead the process because it knows what to do in the same way that if I get like a cut on my wrist right here, I'm not going to like, my ego's not like, okay, make a scab. Uh, you know, it's not straining to do something. The body has an innate intelligence. And so it is with I, my sort of contention is that that same intuitive healing wisdom is a part of the psyche. It's moving everything toward wholeness or what, Stand yeah, that's that's what yeah. tropic. That's what uh, Jung called the self. That's yeah. basically a, 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 a definition of Jung's version of the self that has an aim and an orientation. Yeah. It's not. It's it's funny because the unconscious feels chaotic, and it is chaotic. There is a certain amount of chaos, but there's a kind of ordered chaos. It's mm. not aimless chaos, right. and um, and it seems to be oriented toward increased wholeness and right. transcending and including and. Mm-hmm. growing up and outwards or however you want to, you know, put it. Yeah. And because it's whole, yeah. it's going to express itself both, ma- you know, in the traditional masculine and feminine. And for yeah. a Western Cartesian post Copernicus worldview, you know, that's really irritating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're like so masculine, so linear. Yeah. Uh, so it feels like, oh, that's a bunch of nonsense, you know, imagination. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we're going to always struggle with that as Western. Mm-hmm. What about, I mean, to, to speak about wholeness for, for a moment, what about up and down? I mean, it in the classic sense that mm-hmm. upper world is the realm of spirit. Underworld is the realm of soul. We don't have to get into definitions right this second, yeah. but just in the loosest and middle world, this is a kind of trans historical frame. Mm-hmm. Drug use, what, where, where is it taking us? Where are we going? Upper yeah. world, underworld, both. What kind of experience is this? I, my surmising around that would be, it depends on the compound. Like they're doing different things. Um, my experiences of things like ayahuasca and mushrooms, you know, and again, I'm speaking in radical generalities and there's so much we have yet to learn about what's happening in these. Um, but my experience is a very much a down and in movement. Mm. And so to use, you know, like what you referenced, you know, spirit soul on that continuum up and down, maybe the language there would be more soul. It's like about particulars and about Mm. um, going into yourself. Um, And so that's a generality that I would, I would say that I've, I've had on, um, you know, more uh, traditional plant, psychedelic um and then something like lsd uh has more of an up and out energy to me Mm. so 
maybe on that map, you know, it's more into, you know, ultimacy or spirit or God or whatever language you're putting on the, on the North axis there. Mm -hmm. Um, but because dose has a, is a factor, you know, you take 10 grams of mushrooms. <laughs> I don't know. You might be ping ponging between those two. Cause yeah, I've definitely had experiences of unity. Um, well, you know what, even in that sense though, on really high doses of mushrooms, the unity still had particular, whereas on something like five MEO DMT, five methoxy dimethyltryptamine, which in the natural world is called bufal various. It's the toad one, toad mm-hmm, venom. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like straight to the all, mm-hmm. way out past the self. So, yeah, I think that there's probably, um, you know, the Shulgans who uh, synthesized a lot of these compounds, and, and um, I think maybe they both have passed away. I know he did. Um, have written extensively on sort of the characteristics and properties of a lot of these compounds. And um, I think both are represented in the literature, both spirit and soul to use that frame. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I guess the answer is both. And there are tendencies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's tricky. Um, yeah. One of my, you know, I have a, I have like a running list of personal reservations and you can ask me what they, what they are, if you want, um, yeah. maybe some will just bubble up. Um, but one of them, I, I wanted to talk about, um, yeah. set setting, um, context, sacred yes. setting. What about, um, what about the container and what happens when the, when the container is a medical model or what happens in the, in the Western, when we place these things in the Western consumeristic model and, um, but it just got a little more complicated in what you were saying, because my, my general feeling is for me, I, I don't feel like this is the right kind of thing for me. Mm-hmm. And if, and <laughs> even my, even my analyst was like, uh, don't do psychedelics. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> she's 82. And, um, she said, you already are too, already too open to the, um, collective field. Now she might be wrong or she might just be messing with me too. Cause this happens in analysis. It's not like therapy, you know, it's like yeah. pushing that's going on. No, I would agree um, with that. Yeah. So, um, but any case, what, what was becoming complicated is, you know, my general thing is if, if, if an elder came to me and said, you know, <laughs> I don't even know what I mean by that exactly, but that, but, but it, that kind of context and said, mm-hmm. here's a ceremony, which you and we invite you into, and I feel called to it. That feels different. Yeah. Than a therapeutic setting, uh, um, or someone that just returned from the Amazon five minutes ago and is a shaman. Yeah, um, Chad. Yeah, <laughs> Chad the shaman. Chad the shaman. <laughs> um, yeah. But you're also talking about um, chemicals that have have been um, isolated. You know, it's you're not just talking about quote plant medicines. There are these realms. There are traditional medicines, and there are things like LSD. So, yeah. um, okay. and who who's the elder for LSD? You know, I mean, right, right, yeah. There's a lot so, of some. Some are held really. I mean, I don't. I've done ayahuasca a number of times. I don't uh, ever facilitate ayahuasca. I feel like it's really clearly held in an indigenous tradition. And and like you, I worry about some of this context stuff. Like ayahuasca these are, you know, traditionally happening in communities of people who live their whole lives together. 
you know, yeah. they're, mm -hmm. they're small communities. And so there's already the kind, like the idea of integration is a big deal right now in, in psychedelic land. And, and it should be, I'm not disagreeing with that, but integration is a solution to ripping these out of context yeah. and, and more importantly, out of mm -hmm. community. Mm -hmm. And then there's this bullshit community. Here's my soapbox on this this bullshit community that gets started because people do drugs have like this amazing cathartic transcendent experience and think they're a community now. Mm -hmm. And that's not a community, a bunch of strangers who don't know each other, who do something really intense may have some, almost a trauma bond. Mm -hmm. Sure. Mm -hmm. Like, wow, mm -hmm. you just survived, you know, you nine 11 fell down next to us. We're strangers on the street. We mm -hmm. have a bond. That's not, you know, that's not the same thing as what these have been traditionally held in ayahuasca. Yeah. In interesting. Mm -hmm. So, you know, flying to Peru and meeting like the, oh my gosh, my best new friend in the world. And then you're out, you know, mm -hmm. there was mm -hmm. the accountability, the, um, the context for, you know, again, integration. Well, when you're already integrated, there's no, there's no Integr <laughs> integration. It's like, see you next to my hut tomorrow when we both carry wood, you know, whatever. Uh -huh. Um, so yeah, that's for, there's a lot of concerns and I want to speak to, I think the wisdom of your analysts, because I do think I spend more time telling people not to do psychedelics than I do helping people do them safely now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was um, going to ask you, who's it for then? Who's it for, but yeah. keep going. Mm -hmm. Well, I just wanted to say that, um, getting an idea for whether this person, what they really need is to get out of themselves or whether, whether they need practices that keep them here a little more, right? We all mm -hmm. tend to be somewhere on the spectrum of, um, you know, kind of head in the clouds, you know, me and you can sort of like go off into the abstraction of mm -hmm. uh, um, the worlds that we like to sort of chat about. Um, but some people like that's, it bores them. The people who are not listening to this podcast, for instance, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They sometimes they need an experience to sort of like get them out of the sort of cul-de-sac of self and like take a breath and, oh my gosh, I'm more than this little personality. Mm -hmm. And for those of us who spend a lot of time out there, you know, we need to be a little bit more careful. Like I'm a pretty much a lightweight these days. Like what I used to take when I would do high dose psychedelics, I don't need to push that hard anymore a little bit. And I just launch out of here mm -hmm. and I've definitely had some guidance from people who really know their stuff around this, that they're like, yeah, just, you know, you, you be careful, be more and more careful because you can just go, you can just mm -hmm. leave. And gosh, there's so much to say here because of an experience I had a couple months ago that was a non-drug experience. Yeah. Well, go cool. ahead. Well, yeah. So, so my favorite experience is that five MEO DMT, which is the synthetic form of the, the toad. And the reason for that is ecologically, it's really harmful to be farming these toads. They're already in a tough spot and being encroached on every day. So I do synthetic um, 5-MeO-DMT and the experience of just getting blasted out of the self into the unity has been some of the most like healing and um, yeah, mystical experiences of my life. But I, my, uh, I mean, this isn't double blind research, so I'm just speaking anecdotally from my own experience. But I think that in, in the same way that somebody would take a blower and like blow out their gutters in the fall so mm -hmm. that the gutters are flowing right, I think my intentional and safe 
uh, and I've I always have a sitter no matter what what uh, what I'm doing. Um, I've really cleared, you know, maybe what some people might call blocks, or you know, mm. speaking the language of the body keeps the score. Some of these sort of som somatic holdings of trauma or or painful experience. So I had an experience a couple months ago where I'm just sitting down and closing my eyes and just getting really still and quiet. And, and the only action I was doing was feeling in. Mm -hmm. And every time I felt a little bit of tenseness, I would just breathe in and relax that space a little bit more. And I'm sitting spines upright and out of nowhere, totally sober. Uh, my eyes were open and then I wasn't seeing the room at all anymore. What I was seeing was what I see on 5-MeO DMT, which is this radiant white light that also simultaneously has all the colors in it at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I know somehow this isn't in, there's, it's formless, but it's rolling up my spine and then blasting through the top of my head like, like this um, warm liquid fountain of light. Mm -hmm. And basically it's like orgasmic. Like I'm just like, I can't help. I'm listening. I can hear myself saying, Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. And it's going on for like a minute. And then as soon as it sort of dies down or the, you know, the fountain sort of isn't rising high enough to, to mm. be coming out of my head, I just burst into tears, like weeping. Mm. Now I've seen those kinds of experiences and had those kinds of experiences on high dose psychedelics, but never in a situation where, like none of that was happening. And mm. I'm of the mind at this point that I have opened a channel to experience something that is endogenous to the human body mm. of energy. I mean, I am not woo woo kind of person. So I don't know what kind of word to use here, but I've heard in Chinese medicine, chi, I'm not worried about any of the language. I had an experience of a powerful, energy of light that I simultaneously knew and experienced as perfect unconditional love pouring through me. Hmm. And the relief was like, for one, as somebody who, you know, grew up in Christianity and sort of lost his faith there and then found psychedelics and was like, I don't know what's happening here, but this is healing. I still don't know what God means. And then to have that sober, because hmm. I didn't think that could happen. Hmm. And I've read all the literature on the, you know, people's mystical experiences and um but you know it always seemed like that's somebody else and they're probably lying now yeah. i'm <laughs> in a place where a couple months ago now my whole metaphysic is fucked again because mm. i'm like okay now that that's a thing mm. like that can happen and i don't know what it is or how to create it two times since then i have intentionally and deliberately tried to access that and had it happen again although it was in a like less of an explosion mm. and more of a gradual opening uh, hard again these things are impossible to describe but once i found the <laughs> i don't know what i found but the last thing that needed the last little velcro hook to, then it was like everything just expanded infinitely like the self or or awareness itself just blew way past ryan and out so mm. i don't know what to do with that I don't yeah. know what that is. Yeah. I don't know what the fuck, like it's amazing and it was cathartic, but one of my concerns about psychedelic work, just like drug use or church services or these weekend retreats for the divine masculine is 
Hey, now. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, this is totally not you, but it's the, the addiction to the cathartic moment. Yeah, no it's, kidding. Yeah. This weird yeah. thing that's like, well, if somebody balls their face off or has a psychological crack, mm, yeah, that's then, we're, then we're really doing it. Yeah. And yeah. I'm like, I don't buy that shit at all. I know people who have done hundreds of ayahuasca ceremonies and they are, they lack basic integrity. Yeah, I know people like that too. That's one of the <laughs> the criticisms. Like time will tell how, yeah. how transformed you but are. But that's not a critique of, let's say, your divine masculine retreat or uh, psychedelics any more than it's a critique of um, a monastic uh, silent yeah. retreat yeah. because someone went on a silent retreat and is a dick. Like yeah. that guy, that person's a dick. It's not the monk's problem. It's not meditation's <laughs> yeah. failure. It's not right. psychedelics don't work. <laughs> like there's no magical cure. And that's another one of my concerns with. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Is like that's now on my list. Like, Ooh, this is going to heal you of your depression, mm -hmm. or whatever. And so, you know, I don't work on the clinical side. I'm mostly mm -hmm. helping people who are like, I like my life, but I just feel a little stuck or mm -hmm. I left my faith and I don't even know like how to connect with something beyond the self or whatever. Mm -hmm. I work with mostly people like that, but what's happened over the last six months, maybe nine months is a flood of people who are desperate to be fixed. Mm -hmm. And I, and I'm just like, I'm telling so many people, no, like I can't do that one. If you want to get in on a clinical trial for like severe depression, mm -hmm. um, you know, you should, that's what I value about the clinical space. Like mm -hmm. that's an important thing. And if you're on medications and there's contraindications that could interfere and make this unsafe for people. So, yeah, I mean, I have a rising concern that once again, the exceptionalism of, oh my gosh, this is going to save us all, whether mm -hmm. it's, this is going to cure depression or this is going to um, unite humanity finally under a banner of oneness and into the perfect <laughs> future we go. <laughs> like, I don't think either are true. No, um, no. And so that, that, that sort of frenzy concerns me because I think people who really have, have sincere problems that they need fixed that psychiatry throwing more numbing drugs isn't working true mm. but also just melting your face off with some crazy psychedelic might make it worse mm -hmm. and in fact i tell people who aren't on medications who aren't dealing with hefty depression that um psychedelics in in more cases than not are going to make it worse before it mm. gets better that's what they do mm. That's what yeah. people call, oh, I had a bad trip. I'm like, that's what they do. Psychedelics bring you in contact with the very thing you've been trying to repress. Yeah. So, yeah. It, mm. you know, it's that's, like that. It's like that with, with, with vision fasting or extended absolutely. fasting. I mean, it's any just, altered yeah. state yeah. where this, where, where, where what's underneath can come through, can come mm. forward. Mm. Like, you know, I'm not afraid of dying. Well, are you afraid of seeing who you really are? You're like, long before you get to ego death is looking at the shadow. And that's hard <laughs> yeah. enough. Yeah. Most people run away. That's it. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. You know, I, this experience that you described was um, bringing up an experience of my own and kind of in a strange synchronistic overlay here. I was writing about it this morning, in fact, and um, a few years ago I was in, in Joshua tree and I was, this is at an animus program, but we were doing a, I don't know, uh, an active imagination kind of thing. Right? Yeah. Or just close your eyes and sinking into the earth and this, this sort of thing. And I was just 
participating and sinking down through the fissures and in the rocks and past the roots. And, and, and I came into like a, a lake sort of, um, of stars. That's, that was the image. I was in a lake of stars and there were stars above and stars below. And it actually reminded me not in the moment, but as I was writing this morning of <clears throat> visiting the pyramids in, in Egypt, because they're, they're trickstery places. Like what's above is, is you descend into a pyramid. You don't as ascend, which is very strange. You look at it and you think what's inside this massive monstrosity. And, but it's like an underworld thing. You go down and, and in the very bottom of, um, of this tomb I visited, I climbed into the, the sarcophagus that you're not supposed to do this. There was like a guard there, but I you know, he wasn't looking. I climbed in, I laid down in the, in the sarcophagus and looked up and there were, the ceiling was painted with stars and it, it, it took my breath away. Like it brought tears to my eyes. I was, it was so unexpected because I was like, a graduate student just trying to be like kind of funny, you know, like, wouldn't it be funny if I climbed and laid down where the Pharaoh was, that kind of thing. Mm. Anyway, this just, um, I wouldn't call it an aside, but it was this kind of thing. I was back in that space, stars above, stars below. And, and I felt like a kind of mummy that was sort of wrapped up. And, and I, I, I kind of half had a thought and the thought was something like, this is, this is what people are talking about when they say things like, I'm okay with death. I actually felt like I could stop breathing. Like it's, it's as if I had conscious control over it, which sounds sort of like a little insane, but it's like, oh, I could stop here. I could cease. And it would be a kind of rest. That was, it, it was a kind of half conscious thought. Um, and suddenly um, I sat straight up, like some, something forced me to sit up and and by the way, no one is leading me at this. I said it started with an active imagination thing. And that, that's gone. I don't know what happened. Just that person is not there anymore. And I'm sitting up. I can feel my body sitting up. And everything goes white. That's what reminded me of what, what you were saying before. Like everything, there is, there is no color. There's no image. There's not a single image for me to, to focus on. There is no such thing as focus at this point. And and I can feel something similar to what you were describing, a kind of current that comes up, was coming up through the ground, like sort of through the center of my body and up through my heart space and, and then out the top of my head and then arcing to the right and left, like just mm. up and out and then back down again, like almost like a wings of a moth, like sort of opening and closing or something like that, but back down again and and up back as a, as a kind of like circle in a way. And I would, I think no image and no words, except the closest I would come to using a word is like, it felt like Eros, but that's not even right. And all I mean by Eros is like a kind of life energy. Sure. I was like, this is the thing that is, that of which I am a part and is also moving things. And that's, it's not personal. Right. It's, I'm not in charge here. I'm not. Um, and, and all it was doing was sort of being itself and I could consent or not consent. That was sort of the feeling I could just let it happen, but it made me physically shake. Like um, it made me cry, but also when it was over and it was like, when it was over, it was over. I it was, I, 
it was done. I was like shaking kind of like an animal, you know, like, uh, um, and I was scared. Um, but also not that scared. <laughs> it was a combination. The, on, the only thing that happened that was kind of, um, funny is right at the end, right. As I was coming out of this space, I heard a crow or a raven land in a tree near my head. Like, I think it was actually there. It's not like I was checking because I could hear it's like little guttural sounds, you know, like, oh, they make these weird noises, you know? And I felt like it was saying, we're all going to die. And which made me smile a little bit. It made me smile. And then it was over and it was over. And um, yeah, what is that? I have no idea what that is. And I also want to ask, what is that for? Like, and maybe yeah, that's not totally. even the right question. But... No, it's definitely the question. I mean, okay. at least our stage, right? Like some grand master above us is like, you know, oh, that's a silly question. But but for <laughs> for us, you know, the question you have at whatever stage you're in mm-hmm. is the question. Mm-hmm. And for sure, like because of how we've both seen, you know, whether it's in Christianity, the catharsis being equated with the transformation, mm-hmm. we're skeptical, even of our own mystical experiences of absolute transcendence. Mm-hmm. So what? Yeah. And I think that's an important question because yeah. I mean, I've, and I've scoured, like I, I've read a lot on the Kundalini and it, like, it sounds a lot like what I hear being described about Kundalini energy. Mm. Um, but again, after having grown up in places of, that tell me about the Holy spirit and all these things, like I'm seeing these things sort of map on in a sense, not that they fit perfectly, but that mm-hmm. like everyone seems to be describing an experience that it, it, it's familiar like this is a thing that people have had and there are various technologies and ways into this. And at the, at the most basic level, it's a positive experience that you would like to have again. I I'm guessing. Yeah. I don't have again is an odd way of putting it. I'm not <laughs> sure. I don't know if I need another one. I mean, no, 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 I, no, no. I don't mean need. <laughs> did, did, would you be like, Oh, that'd be cool. <laughs> I would enjoy like feeling that again at some point. I, I would be open to receiving that kind of gift. Yeah. Yeah. And that's about all I would say about it. It also, it's funny because now that I'm talking about it, it feels like it comes with some responsibility and I, but I don't know exactly what I mean by that. I feel Mm -hmm. like it, it, it just comes with some responsibility. Uh, Yeah. I think what, what am I responsible to, to, to be in a kind of prayerful relationship with this kind of mystery to. Um, oh, that just irritates me. <laughs> why? Why? Well, I it, just like, why? Like if, if, uh, if it, if that was a gift from something that wants to relate to me, like mm-hmm. I need more info. Like I'm like, don't play games with me. Like, okay, I'll steward this thing. What, what the hell is it? Mm. And give me some information. But if I'm, if I'm supposed to play this like bizarre game with it where I'm responsible in some way, but there will be no disclosure of what that even means or if that is true, that just irritates me. That's the kind of thing. Those are the kind of gods I want to kill. Mm. Yeah, maybe you're right. Or maybe you're, maybe you're not right. I don't know. Yeah. Totally. Um, it just, I'm just being honest that my emotional reaction to that is fuck that shit. I'm sick <laughs> of those gods. Yeah, maybe so. Um, yeah, but I think I felt like, um, what's that Latin phrase? 
Exodus, Reditus, like all things come from God, all things return to God. I mean, what I mean by prayer is just posture. That's all I mean. Like, who am I marching around the world? That's, I mean, maybe that's what I mean. That's what I'm responsible is to quit marching around the world. Like I, like I know what I'm talking about or um, something like that. That's fair. That's fair because I feel that sense about my own life. Like, that's why I keep asking why, because I want Mm. to, I, uh, I, I want to take responsibility for my life. So Mm. I can, I can, I think I can. I can make some room for that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we had this experience of grace, even, I, I mean, I've reached out to like people who I respect as spiritual teachers who are even in traditions. I don't have a lot of information about, but in most of them, if I put them all together, what they said was that was an experience of grace and you just have to be, be grateful for it, mm-hmm. which still is not enough for me. It bothers me, but I can, I can see what you're saying there. Yeah. And, and also I don't want to fall, fall in love. One of the things I learned this year from St. John of the Cross. So he's the one that, you know, has the dark night. Um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And, and, and this is relevant to the, the terrain we're in anyway. Yeah. So the way he describes the dark night is not what most people mean by the dark night, which they mean is kind of like, I felt low about my worldview collapsing. <laughs> Okay. What he says is that God begins to wean us from God. And that, that I think is the phrase that is so troubling. And he also says of all images and of all sensations. Now he's a monk, you know, so it's like, uh, they're already oriented toward the, the letting go of things. But I just wonder what is that? I mean, that seems like two poles here. If, um, if drugs and psychedelics are a flooding of sensation and experience, there yeah. is the opposite pole, which is the dark night. And they seem like, okay, here are the two twins. These are the two twins of consciousness in a way. And mm-hmm. what is the relationship between the two? And I don't want to run after one or the other, but there is a danger, of course, it just falling in love with images and sensations. And I want this thing again. I want to go back to Joshua tree and I'm going to try to, I'm going to lay down right where I was and do it again. And totally, I think it's no the same issues in relationships. I mean, take yeah. drugs out of it. This is why mm-hmm. people go from relationship to relationship. Oh, you know, I fell out of love with my spouse or whatever the sex sucks. Mm-hmm. And so I need to get back to, um, what it felt like when we first were in a relationship. So there's an addiction to a particular zone of the development of the relationship of love that that's all I equate as valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so yeah, I 100% agree with you. It just, that applies everywhere. Yeah. 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 Well, this is why we need, you know, um, I was going to say elders. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And structures and institutions. Exactly. We're yeah. opening it, you know, it's, it's Indiana Jones at the end of the movie and we've opened up the Ark of the Covenant and everyone's faces are going to start melting <laughs> off. Yeah. yeah, exactly. There's no container yeah, because we, we've right. so yeah. valued individualism mm-hmm. totally. and every, even our spiritual journeys now are just so like whatever, you know, my mm-hmm. thing, it's not about anybody else. I got to just take care of me. Uh, and, and to a point, there are some good applications to that, but um, yeah, if we don't have, the accountability or the container for those, like we were talking about earlier, like the Mm. community of integration, then one, you can sort of spin out and lose yourself entirely. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the ego can ride that all the way to the top and realize, Oh, I haven't gotten anywhere. I just, Mm -hmm. 
inflated my ego with transcendent. Uh, so yeah, there's definitely some room to grow as we tear down all these institutions that once held life and culture. Mm -hmm. We haven't replaced them with anything. No, and there, there's no, uh, nobody's offering anything at this point, really. Exactly. <laughs> it's all, well, we're in an age of critique where we just yeah. tear things down. Yeah. Or, Are you sick we, of it? I'm uh, sick of it. Oh, yeah. I'm so sick of it. I, yeah. If you're not prepared to govern, what are you protesting? Yeah. <laughs> you know? If there's no, I mean, if fuck capitalism. Hey, I agree. Like, yeah, capitalism <laughs> has a lot of flaws. What's the alternative system that we're yeah. talking about? That, that you're going to bring forth? Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. Again. And I'm like, I'm pretty left, man. But at the end of the day, like, you know, who's going to keep governing? Those who are prepared to govern. <laughs> That's how it works. That's why coups work because people who can organize and don't yeah. rattle the system, they just slide into power after they kill four people. Yeah. And everyone's like, what happened? Anyway, Starbucks, I'll take a double, you know, like <laughs> as long as society is able to function and organize, then those who can organize to govern will rule, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, <laughs> I don't know what that has to do with what we're talking about, but yeah, well, there's, a, yeah. there's a lot of, there's a lot of room for the development of institutional containers mm -hmm. for us to be able to steward these in a good way because there's uh, psychedelics are great i think they're they're definitely going to help people i mean i've worked with soldiers and people with ptsd and sexual trauma um amidst all the other kind of people that i told I, that i normally mm -hmm. work with and amazing stuff i mean amazing healings and people who had nightmares their whole life since they were little kids now they're in their 30s and since since a deep journey, never again, like that whole mm -hmm. thing just gone. So I believe in the capacity for the goodness that comes out of these, but I'm also aware that, you know, there's two sides to a blade mm -hmm. and there's some wisdom and some, like, we got to be careful and go slow. And, um, um, there's a, di there's a huge difference between taking a manageable dose of, um, you know, psychedelic, which will essentially take you into the personal biography stuff. Mm. And then what we've spent the most time talking about, which is the high dose stuff that can take you into these transcendent places. Mm. I mean, a lot of people will just do mushrooms and like cry about their divorce and, and move through some grief and maybe feel like the lights were sparkling and, and that's it. And they're like, wow, that was really helpful. Like that was like a really mm. good therapy session. So it's hard to talk about psychedelics because it, it, everyone's saying psychedelic and they mean this vast array of different compounds that do totally different things that last for different lengths mm -hmm. that come in various purity levels and have certain structures or no structure at all. You know, like you said, who's the, who's the shaman of LSD. Mm -hmm. And then of course, ayahuasca is firmly rooted in a tradition. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's a chaos right now. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like the Egyptian myth, um, of, uh, writing, no, of Osiris, you know, there's okay. the, the dismembering of the father and he's scattered to the underworld. And then I, Isis has to come along and find his penis essentially and, <laughs> and try to reconstitute what is fragmented. And out of that is the birth of Horus. That's the, you know, the, the Egyptian eye, the, okay. the right. falcon. Yeah. My main point is we're in the age of the dis dismemberment of Osiris. That's what we're in. You know, yeah. there's yeah, actually not, there is some ISIS feminine energy roaming around seeking the dismember, the dismemberment, but mostly yeah. it's just a celebration of, of the scattering to the winds here. Mm -hmm. mm. Yep. Okay. Yeah, it's like, I was thinking about the one-eyed prophet who comes up with writing 
Mm. What he doesn't see is that this isn't about memory. This is actually going to erode memory. Mm. So every new technology that comes online is the loss of something else. Oh, yeah, no kidding. So oral tradition to the religions of the book. What did we lose there, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So here's this new technology or, or a re-emerging technology, at least in the West, mm. oh, Western um, you know, so-called developed nations. Now we're like, oh, look, we found this new thing called altered states of consciousness mm. that every culture in human history has prized beyond measure. And for the last whatever few hundreds of years, we've institutionalized people who have mm. those. Now we're finally going, there may be some value here. And it's important as we embrace a technology that we be able to see through both eyes. What can yeah. this do? You know, just like AI, what can AI do? What mm. can it undo? Mm. Yeah, beautiful. Okay. I'm feeling this is like a good place to yeah. hit the pause button. Yeah. Anything you want to say kind of, and that's a good concluding image. Anything else percolating here? Yeah, I think that's a strong uh, close. The mm-hmm. only other thing that I didn't mention that it's a small detail was um, access is an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one of the last sort of chaos points right now is access and the cost. Um, mm-hmm. It's going to be, of course, you know, uh, socioeconomically and 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 racially, there's going to be a divide in access mm-hmm. and because of what it takes to do psychedelic psychotherapy. I mean, it's a lot of time. You know, mm. my, my mentor says, if you want to be a good psychedelic psychotherapist, you only need two things, a lot of time and no ambition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he's dead on. Yeah. But what that means is it's a ton of time. And so if mm. you're going to have, I think the best case scenario is you have a male and a female sitting Mm-hmm. Um, that's just really costly. And so my concern right now, that's even making me consider, I'm going to get out of this completely. Mm-hmm. I'm just not, I'm going to keep doing drugs, but I don't want to work for rich people who want something to say, you know, a story to tell when they go to the Hamptons this summer. Like mm-hmm. if, if people need these, these, um, these drugs and access to this, but if you need an extra six to 12 grand, I mean, this is just basically we're like, yay, psychedelics, rich people get to use them. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So that's definitely a concern. Like justice yeah. and access is, is a big issue. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah, man. Thank love you. you man. It was fun. I love yeah. you too. I love that we're doing this because this gets me uh, hang time with you. So Yeah. <laughs>